The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So this morning, I want to talk about inspiration and the movement of the heart. Inspiration. What inspires you? Do you know what inspires you? Are you aware of what inspires you? What's it like when you feel inspired? What does it conjure in your mind? You know, I think the word inspiration tends to give us an idea of goodness, right? Oh, this is a good thing. I'm being inspired towards something. Which, of course, isn't always true. Because inspired has to do with a kind of bubbling up of energy, uh, an urging, an internal movement, an internal movement towards something, which encourages some kind of action or some kind of belief or some kind of something out, outward. And the usual source when we talk about inspiration is we think it's, it's from outside. A book inspires us, a person inspires us, some action inspires us. Can we be inspired by ourselves? Can it come from inside? What makes something or someone or some book or some action inspiring? What is it? What makes it inspiring and not mm, propaganda? <laughs> you know, there's, um, there's a lot of mm, distrust of inspiration. You know, but motivation seems like a good thing, too. What's the difference between inspiration and motivation? You know, inspiration has this feeling of coming from, of a, of a bubbling up of energy, you know, an encouragement. And motivation, you know, it's, it's, more, it's more goal-centered, right? It's, it's a, a reason for doing something. I want to make a, a distinction between motivation and inspiration because I think it has a lot to do with intention. Intention. Yeah, so, so, um, so, so Woody Allen said, 80% of success is showing up. Okay, well, you know, that's, that's true. <laughs> Feels true, right? Is that inspiration or motivational? Is that inspirational? You know, show up. Just show up. You're not going to get anywhere if you don't show up, right? When, uh, when I was working for Zen Hospice Project and, and we were training new volunteers, that was a big thing. One of the things we tried to get people to understand is it's really important to just be there. Be there with you. Show up. That, that you can't actually be in the midst of someone else's pain unless you're willing to be there. It takes more than sitting there and smiling at them or frowning with them. But it definitely takes that with them part. You have to be with them. You have to be in it. Somebody once asked me what I thought was the most important part of being with dying. And my response was, show up, show up. 
because you cannot have the movement of your heart unless you were open to your heart moving, unless you're open, open to that other person who's in the room with it, you, those other people who are in the room with you. I found working in hospice to be inspirational. And it was inspirational because every time I sat with an aggrieved family member or I was with someone who was dealing with the fact that they were about to die or were in fact dying, there was a movement in my heart. There was an opening in my heart. There was, even in the midst of sadness and grief, there was a an uplifting, an, a vulnerability that made it somehow more loving, more open. It was inspirational. It was inspirational. It has something to do with seeing that we are just like one another. And it's not an intellectual decision. It is a movement of the heart. What we notice is what is similar between us more than what is different. You know, if we look in this room, okay, everyone in this room right at this moment happens to be white. And we're all humans, and we have hands and arms and legs. We have a huge amount that is the same. And yet, each one of you is quite distinct. So, something about inspiration has to do with what do we share in our individualness. Because inspiration is a personal call, right? It's, a, and it's, it's something that comes from inside of you. So when you look up a definition of inspiration, it tells you a couple of things. One of them is that, that there is this um, process of stimulation towards some action. This is an inspiration. And then there's a, a quality that sometimes inspiration is, is linked with things like creativity and uh, innovation, ingenuity. You know, John had an inspiration to do this piece of art, right? And the other thing is that it has to do with a drawing in of breath. Right? Inspiration is drawing in your breath. You're taking something in. You know, and uh, many of my generation, and some of yours, I think, were, were greatly inspired by John Kennedy's Ask Not What Your Country Can Do For You, But What You Can Do For Your Country. Something I heard, you know, how many years ago was that? I, I can't even add those numbers or subtract the numbers. But I remember being really inspired by that. It was a call to something, a way of being, that had to do with not being so self-focused, which as a young person as I was then, I was pretty self-focused. Or Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Extremely inspirational. Now, both of those men were good orators, but they were also calling for a movement of the heart. 
And this is a key part of inspiration. It's a movement of the heart. It's not just a mental stimulation. Inspiration involves more than that. It involves more than that. There is a spirit which arises in you. And yet, you know, there's a kind of distrust. There's a little distrust around inspiration, right? Because there's also this feeling that people who are trying to inspire you are trying to manipulate you, manipulate your emotions. There's a cynicism that arises around inspiration. Very real cynicism. You know, when I was in college, thinking about John Kennedy reminded me of being in college, and... uh, When I was in college, I went on a retreat. And I can't even tell you what the goal of the retreat was, but it was a, uh, to go there, you had to be in a Catholic college. And everybody was sitting around talking about whatever it was. It was a reflective retreat, not a meditation retreat. And I hooked up with this guy who was from uh, an all-male school and he was, a, he was about to graduate, and he was going to become a priest. And he was a little concerned about uh, what he thought of as too much do-gooding, feeling-gooding. It did not feel intellectually honest to him. So for the whole weekend of this retreat, we sat around criticizing the obvious attempts at emotional manipulation that were occurring in all of these inspirational speeches. And we were watching people being influenced by it and thinking, wow, look at all those people. They're just, they're just following along and they're not really thinking about what's being said here. And we had a great deal of intellectual purity, but not very much openness to what was going on. So at the, at the very end, everybody were, was invited to get up and say something if they were moved to say something. So there, there was a parade of people all going up, talking about what had happened during the weekend for them. And finally, I, I found myself up in front of the group saying something. And I remember thinking at the time, oh, Joe over here is going to be so disgusted with me that I've been manipulated like everybody else, Right? But actually what I said when I got up was how truly moved I was by the fact that other people had been moved. That in their sincerity, they really had experienced something. It wasn't what I experienced, but what I did experience was them. Now, there certainly was emotional manipulation happening in the room. And there was something else. And there was the movement of hearts. And I am no longer so intellectually pure that I'm unwilling to also see that, to also experience that. And I'm aware of my own cynicism about emotional manipulation and my resistance when somebody's trying to inspire me. And so it was with some trepidation that I decided to talk about inspiration to you because it is my intent to inspire you to pay attention to inspiration. To both not be led by it and not to 
reject it. To see the value in it. And the danger in it. Those are the things that we want, I want to talk about. So, so one of the things that happens is you know, when people are, are trying to be inspirational or intend to be inspirational, there's a certain kind of idealism that gets set up. This is what's good. And this is what I want you to believe. And there's a kind of purity that is demanded as a consequence of that. You have to be with me all the way because I'm right. And there, so there's this energy of separation. There are the pure ones and the impure ones. There's an energy of separation instead of the energy of noticing how similar we are in the movement of our hearts. What a paradox. What a paradox. I want to talk about a couple of stories of, of what has recently inspired me, just for example. So yesterday, I think it was yesterday, I was, I was in a doctor's office and I was waiting and I struck up a conversation with a woman there. And this woman began telling me uh, that her husband had died a year before and what that was like. He'd had a prolonged illness, which is a euphemism for lots of visits to the doctor, lots of discomfort, lots of suffering, lots of caregiving by the caregiver, lots of isolation in being the caregiver, uh, lots of memories that She'd been married to her husband for 40 years, and so much of the memories were tied up in those last couple of years when he was so ill. It was a pulmonary illness. He had a lot of trouble breathing. If you've ever been around somebody who's suffering from, from uh, COPD, chronic obstructive lung disease, you, you, you know how difficult it is to sit with someone who can't breathe, who is struggling to breathe. But she didn't really talk about that. I was putting that into the conversation because I had sat with people who were dying from COPD. She didn't talk about the burdens. She talked about the memories. She, she talked about caring for him, but not how hard it was. She was grateful to no longer be witnessing his suffering grateful to no longer be witnessing his suffering, which, which was involving herself, you know, the witnessing of his suffering. It's very common to hear someone say, uh, well, he's no longer suffering. At least he's no longer suffering. And what she said is, I'm grateful I'm no longer witnessing his suffering. So she was speaking to what was happening in her heart all the time that she was caring for him. She was soft, and not bitter. I was so struck by the fact that she was soft. Her heart was still available. She did not close herself off. She was still vulnerable. And I was moved by this vulnerability in her, by this strength in her. I was inspired by her. Not because she was trying to inspire me, but because I could feel the openness of her heart.
Last week, I listened uh, extensively to a political convention. I listened to a lot of speakers. There were a lot of speakers who, because the theme was uh, stronger together, there were a lot of people who talked about togetherness. And there were a lot of people that were, there were people who were inspirational and people who were not, to me, inspirational. <laughs> Some people were perspirational, that's true. But there was someone who truly, truly inspired me. A, a really remarkable person. And he is someone that may not, in another context, have inspired me, this person. It was Reverend Dr. William Barber II. <laughs> he is a, a big black man with, uh, he has a, a fused spine, so he kind of hunches. And um, he's a, a traveling preacher of sorts. And he's involved in a lot of political things as well. So what was amazing for me, the other thing I want to say about him is he did not endorse anybody. And he offered to speak at both conventions, both the Republican and Democratic conventions. He was only uh, allowed to speak at the Democratic convention, but... What I want to emphasize is that I don't think his, his speech was political. It did not intend toward elect this person and don't elect that person. Which is, I think, one of the reasons I found him inspirational. <laughs> but the real reason he started with, in my heart, I am troubled and I'm worried. In my heart, I am troubled and I'm worried. That faith is cynically used by some to serve hate, fear, racism, and greed. He was troubled by the fear that he saw being evoked, being inspired. He was troubled by that. He said, listen to the ancient chorus in which deep calls unto deep. Don't live up here in the world of intellectual ideas. Listen to the ancient chorus where deep calls to deep. He said, Jesus, a brown-skinned Palestinian Jew, called us to preach good news to the poor, the broken, and the bruised, and all those who are made to feel unaccepted. Something about the whole political process makes people feel unaccepted. You're either for me or against me, right? Everything about this speech had to do with where do we meet? Where do we meet? Because what he talked about was the heart. He kept referring to the heart of the democracy. You don't have to use the word democracy. You can use the heart of the community, the heart of the country. Some issues are not left or right or liberal versus conservative. They are right versus wrong. He talked about morals. He talked about a moral imperative. We need to embrace our deepest moral values for revival at the heart of our democracy. Revival. When we love the Jewish child and the Palestinian child, the Muslim and the Christian and the Hindu and the Buddhist, and those who have no faith but they love this nation, we are reviving the heart of our democracy. 
We are being called, like our mothers and fathers, to be the moral defibrillators of our time. The moral defibrillators of our time. I liked that. You know? It had to do with breaking, breaking up the rigidity of fear and separation. I'm not like you. He said, we must shock this nation with the power of love. We must shock this nation with the power of mercy. We must shock this nation and fight for justice for all. We can't give up on the heart of our democracy, not now, not ever. Now, I have to tell you, this man is a very gifted speaker. He had everybody in the hall up on their feet and I think this was the only speech where there were no boos. He was inspirational. He was calling to the heart. Calling to the heart. And he ended with, fight for the heart of this nation. And while you're fighting, sing that old hymn. Revive us again, fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. Hallelujah. Revive your heart. He not only wanted to inspire people, but he wanted people to inspire others to revive their heart. I found this very inspirational. I found it um, humbling. I've thought of him every day since he... I've listened to his speech three or four times. You can, I, I highly recommend going to YouTube and looking up William Barber's speech at the Democratic National Convention. Really inspirational. Rekindling one's heart. We have an opportunity to rekindle our own hearts. This is what he was urging us to do. This is what I'm urging you to do. This is what I urge myself to do, to rekindle my heart. To look for inspiration, to not be afraid of inspiration, to not reject and be distrustful of inspiration, but to under something, understand something about inspiration. What moves you? Why does it move you? What do you notice when you're inspired? Perhaps you're moved by the joy of something. Perhaps you're moved by the emotional content. Somebody really believes something. Perhaps you're moved by the cadence of somebody's delivery. Notice this in yourself. What do you feel when you are inspired? What is the feeling in your body? One of the ways that we can learn to trust inspiration, to be wise about inspiration, is to know when, when this feeling is coming up in our bodies and say, okay, I'm being aroused here. There's arousal of my heart and mind. Is this, is this wise now? Is this skillful now? What does this have to do with? One of my big sources of inspiration, when I need inspiration, which I often do, on, on the back of this iPad that I'm using, that I put this talk in, is, 
is all experiences preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind, which is the opening of the Dhammapada. Reminding myself that all these things that I read in this device, all the things I write in this device, that they are conjured up by my mind. They are affected by my mind. That the mind is creating what is my reality here. And that continues that part of the Dhammapada. All experiences preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind, speak or act with a corrupted mind, and suffering follows as the wagon wheels follow the hooves of the ox. All experiences preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind, speak or act with a peaceful mind, and happiness follows like a never-departing shadow. He abused me, attacked me, defeated me, robbed me. For those carrying on like this, hatred does not end. She abused me, attacked me, defeated me, robbed me. For those not carrying on like this, hatred ends. Hatred never ends through hatred. By non-hate alone does it end. This is an ancient truth. Many do not realize that we here must die. For those who realize this, quarrels end. One of the reasons I was inspired by some of the people who made these speeches was their call for non-hatred. Non-hatred. It's not condemning the person who speaks ill. It is, I will not go there. Because a corrupted mind, full of anger and hostility, causes suffering to me, to others. A peaceful mind gives way for happiness, gives way for peace. I remind myself of this when I get angry, when I get upset, when I get irritated. This is a source of inspiration for me. I read it, I go back and reread it to remind myself because I don't always live in a peaceful mind. (laughs) I get irritated, I get anxious, I get angry. But that's not where I want to live. It's not where I want to live. I want the movement of my mind, the movement of my heart, to be with a peaceful mind. Because I'm happier, I'm less prone to suffering when that's true. It's based on experience, not goodwill. And it's necessary, it's necessary to rekindle this in myself, to remind myself. Which brings me to that last definition on inspiration that had to do with breathing in. The oxygen that we inhale is necessary for our life. The oxygen, you know, gets that, all the ATP going and gets the energy going on our body, keeps our cells alive. That, that oxygen is necessary. So we breathe in oxygen. 
and that's good, you know. But if you happened, the other day we were uh, in a park with, uh, with our grandkids, and there was, a, there was a, somebody was creating a new walkway, and he had a, a gasoline-powered saw for cutting concrete. And the air, my God, you couldn't oh. breathe the air. It was all of that petroleum distillate was going into the air, and this, the concrete was going into the air. And the advice was, don't breathe here, hold your breath, and move. This air was toxic. We all know what toxic air is like. So what are you breathing in? What are you breathing in? What is inspiring you? And is it inspiring you toward what is wise and skillful? Or is it inspiring you toward anger and hostility? Because this can happen too. There are many people who believe that anger is important for getting things done. Because they have confused hostility with energy. What is inspiring you? Do you need anger to affect change and fight for justice? I submit no. So, so one of the things that were, was happening in that convention last week was there were a lot of people booing. A lot of boos. A lot of people roaring over what other people had to say. Now, because I understood that these people really were dedicated about something, they really had something that was important to them, I looked up one of the organizers. I googled him. Uh, it was a name that was familiar to me. It's somebody I know. And so I went to see what he was saying. Okay, what's he saying? And every word out of his mouth was negative. Every word was a condemnation. Every word was establishing blame. Every word was demonizing the other person. Every word had to justify my selective re, uh, recital of facts to justify where I am because I am angry. There was not a single word, not a single word about what he actually wanted, why he was holding these beliefs, what he had, was hoping to affect change. How, what kind of change did he want? It was just throw the bums out kind of exchange. It was so negative. It, it was poisonous. It was toxic. I don't want to breathe that in. I don't want to breathe that in. What good is that? So attached to a particular outcome. There is no room for the movement of the heart. Forget the heart in this. It was just a call for energy, but no movement of the heart. No movement of the heart. And, you know, I, I, I'm not immune to this. I've heard people speak that make me want to throw things in, in the computer screen, right? Ah! But I also recognize that when I'm feeling that way, what is in my heart is constricted and tight 
and noxious. And I don't want to live there. I don't want to live there. It is not inspiring to me. Anger is not inspiring to me. There's energy there. So, I don't know about you, I get lots of, uh, lots of political things in my email box all the time. Do this, support that, come to this. Mostly, I've gotten to the point where I just, you know, delete it all. Good luck getting off any email list. <laughs> but sometimes, I just say, okay, what is this person saying today? Is this something I want to... Encourage or not encourage? What does this feel like as inspiration? Am I being inspired to something that is uh, positive in the world? Am I open to this? Am I not open to this? Does it refresh? Does it refresh me? Does it turn our hearts toward violence and hostility, or does it turn our hearts toward loving kindness? What is the direction that it's pointing? What I'm saying here is that I think it's important to not either reject or just swallow inspiration. It's a tool It is, I think, a necessary part of the spiritual life. I am inspired. When, when I'm sitting in this seat and I'm looking at you, I'm inspired by the smoothness on your faces, by the frowns on your faces, by the smiles on your faces, by the confusion I see in your faces. All of these things I find inspiring because I'm looking out on people who are here with all of the confusion and all of the joys and all of the mistakes of life, you're here. You're showing up. You know, that 80% of success business. You're showing up. This is inspirational. And it should be inspirational for you. That you can inspire yourself with your own effort and diligence. Here I am. Okay, I'm not in a very peaceful mood, but I'm here. I'm here. And to, to feel this as the movement of your own heart, and that you can do this for yourself. And when that isn't working, as it sometimes does, have in your back pocket a way of inspiring yourself. So, so I have this little book here, this little yellow, little yellow book. This is A Heart Full of Peace by Joseph Goldstein. And it's basically a series of stories. It has a development theme to it, but I have a variety of stories in here that I like. So the one that inspired me yesterday 
had to do with bodhicitta, bodhicitta. So it begins with a little quote, our highest motivation enlarges our sense of what we can accomplish. Sounds motivational, doesn't it? <laughs> Definitely. Our highest motivation enlarges our sense of what we can accomplish. Bodhicitta is a Sanskrit and Pali word that literally means the awakened heart. This refers to that deep wish to awaken from the dream of ignorance in order to benefit all beings. Through cultivating this aspiration, we dedicate our spiritual practice and our very lives to the happiness and welfare of all. But is this aspiration realistic? Is it really possible to cultivate such an altruistic motivation given the great mix of qualities within our minds? Even His Holiness the Dalai Lama has said, I cannot pretend I always practice bodhicitta. But it does give me tremendous inspiration. Deep inside me, I realize how valuable and beneficial it is. Even when we can't reach it, you see, even when we can't touch it, knowing that it is there, knowing that we have at some time experienced it, knowing that we, we know what it is like to wish well for someone else is a source of inspiration. Okay, so I'm feeling really snarky today and cranky, and, but I don't always feel this way, and I wish I felt otherwise. I wish my intention is to be open. My intention is to be full of loving kindness. Well, just remember, just recall, inspire yourself when you're not inspired. Recall it. Revive it like, like singing a hymn at the end of, of that sermon that, that Reverend Barber had. Just remind yourself, loving kindness. May I be filled with loving kindness. May I be well. May I be peaceful and at ease. May I be happy. <sighs> okay, I'm still cranky, but okay, at least I know. I know this is, what, this is what I wish were true. This is my inspiration. This is my intention. My intention is toward peacefulness. My intention is not toward anger, hostility, grumpiness. Grumpiness is here. I am not the grumpiness. And finally, one of my favorite quotes out of this little book. Pablo Casals, the world-renowned cellist, still practiced three hours a day when he was 93. When asked why he still practiced at that age, he said, I'm beginning to see some improvement. <laughs> the training in meditation will only happen through your own effort. No one can do it for you. There are many techniques and traditions, and you can find the one most suitable for you. But regularity of practice is what affects a transformation. If we do it, it begins to happen. If we don't do it, we continue acting out 
the various patterns of our conditioning. That is what inspiration is. It is the awakening of the heart toward our good intentions, our skillful intentions. It is the movement of the heart that we call compassion. Compassion is not an action. It is a movement of the heart. I wish you all awakened hearts. I wish you all to be self-inspired, other-inspired, and to know what inspires you. To know what it feels like in your heart to be moved. To not be afraid of being moved. To know that you have the wisdom to discern between what is corrupting in your heart and what is peaceful in your heart. That you can be aroused without being overcome. That you are in fact safe in being vulnerable. Thank you. So, I'm very interested in what you have to say, in what may or may not be inspiring for you. What inspires you? What, what moves your heart? Or do you object to the whole topic? Well, it's not quite a question, but you asked a question. I don't listen to anything political, neither of the conventions. Okay. I certainly don't find it inspiring. On the other hand, I do sit with hospice patients. Uh-huh. Some of them are people I would never want to know in their earlier life. But nevertheless, I find them inspiring. Yes. What, what do you find inspiring? It's just the entire concept of someone who is effectively at the most important time of their life. And they are willing to accept a new friend. Even in their, and for them too, I'm probably someone they would not have picked as a friend. But at that point as things progress, they become open. And so I find that inspiring, even for if they have, for instance, prejudicial ideas and things that I find uh, offensive. They become open. And so it, it is. It's inspiring. I love it. It makes me happy to sit with them. That sounds like a strange thing to people that do not, but it does. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you notice... You notice openness in this person. You notice uh, similarities in in the midst of really being different. Mm-hmm. And you notice that it makes you happy, that it's uplifting for you. Yeah. Yeah. 
good. I do a lot of artwork and I have a lot of hobbies. Oh, I do a lot of artwork and I have a lot of hobbies. And so that always inspires me. It seems on a daily basis I continue to come up with ideas and um, projects. But the most inspiring thing is my grandchildren. Yeah. Your grandchildren? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I spend a lot of time with them and I feel like I can make a difference in their life teaching them different things and, um, you know, just having a lot of fun. They bring a lot of happiness to my husband and myself. Um, I find on the side of the political realm extremely um, worrisome and, and sadness. In, in my family, we have a big division. And... Um, it worries me. So it does uh, inspire me um, with my beliefs and my values to do something, um, but with caution. And um, yeah, so I feel like the uh, artistic uh, realm is very inspiring. So art enlivens you? Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And your grandchildren enliven you. Yeah. And the the differences that you see within your family and broad more broadly also move your heart and you're uncertain what to do about that. Well, I guess um in my mind it's gotten ex very extreme uh um polarized. Mm -hmm. So I find that this meditating uh, helps to clarify a lot of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When, when there is controversy, it's really easy to fall into, uh, how can you possibly think that? Right. Which is, which is a very aversive, I don't accept what you feel mm -hmm. and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's wrenching it can be very wrenching mm -hmm. particularly if it's somebody you actually know and care about right. particularly it is then wrenching and so to choose to meditate, to bring your mind to peace is perhaps one of the best things that you can do mm -hmm. to keep from falling into that trap of why why? You can't. The, the, the agony and anxiety and anxiousness. Mm -hmm. And at the same time saying, this is something that is strong for me. Mm -hmm. So that being present for what is really there is an important part of the spiritual practice. Being present for what's there, even if we don't particularly like it. Like being with death. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's good. Um, 
When I was studying at the Graduate Theological Union, I became aware that a dilemma that many clergy and pastors get into is they want to give a political sermon, but they may later have to be called to minister at the bedside of someone who vigorously disagreed with that particular <laughs> political yes. sermon. The yes. conflict between the hospice uh, element and the political element. And um, I guess to me it's evolved to trying to be somewhat sensitive to the anxieties and the fears of people who don't agree with you and being aware of your own, uh, the, the biblical saying, take the speck out of, take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of your brother's eye. Yes. And I've always believed that even the best causes can be corrupted by undue anger or uh, uh, anger at people who don't agree with you or by rigid thinking. It's, it's possible for a good cause to be corrupted by people who are in it for their own ego or self aggrandizement and I think that's always something to be aware of. We do have political divisions in my family because but they're easy to do with because they're never within the same nuclear family. I mean these are the these are the aunts and uncles that are in the other party and these are the aunts and the uncle yeah. <laughs> uncles in our party. So there's no there's no nuclear family divisions but there are extended family divisions so we don't have that uh, it makes it way too easy, actually, <laughs> to deal with. Um, but I was... Um, you were talking about people just following rigidly. They can be doing that thinking that they're being set free. I mean, they can, they can think that they're being expanded while they're actually being contracted. And so it's like it's like the way... Alcohol makes you feel warmer, but it actually lowers your body temperature. That that can happen in in mass mass crowds. Um, I, there's that scene in Life of Brian where Brian is shouting at the crowd, uh, "You must all think for yourselves," and they all, with one voice, say, "We must all think, think for ourselves." Yes. This, yes. this is perfect this, example. You're yes. you're all individuals, and they all shout, "We are all individuals." And then one guy in the back jumps up and says, "I'm not." And <laughs> So, okay, I think this is the longest comment I've ever made in seven years of coming here on Tuesday morning, so I'm going to stop. <laughs> Don't be afraid. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it is a, it, it, one of the exhortations is to know when you are being swept up. And, uh, and it takes practice to know when you are being swept up, actually. To, to be able to be aware of it. So you may be in a crowd where everybody is, we're together, we're doing this, yeah, here we go, and it feels great. So inspiration is not so much about feeling great, it's noticing the movement of your heart and noticing where it's going. And, and always being enough aware to say, and what else is happening? How, what am I being inspired toward? What, is this noxious? Is this not noxious? And noticing that. Noticing that. Thank you. I think that's great. Appreciated that comment. Anybody else?
you just reminded me there. It's I've been trying to sit with this, how to articulate this. Um, I've been used to being a really inspired and excited person, and uh, um, and there's been a shift. Like there was a there was a personality fixation on that, and kind of a attachment and sort of a false self. Mm-hmm. And that kind of fell away, and then there was just this. It, although it felt really good and deepening and wonderful, there was this grieving over that. And then, where's my inspiration? Like there was, it was like this. It's like this dead nothingness, right? Mm-hmm. In it, mm-hmm. not necessarily. I know it's good, but it feels kind of like. Well, now what do I live? How do I live? You know, and so it is learning how to listen, I think, to that quieter voice inside, that quieter inspiration, the, the heart, at, in a whole other way than, than I've tried before, and also that doesn't involve grasping and attachment. Yes. And it's really tricky. <laughs> <laughs> or I guess just learning what that is and letting it happen because it can be scary, right? When you said we know we can open our hearts and be appropriate at the same time. We can know all of that is really there's a fear there of coming from that deeper place and really letting it unfold. Yes. And yeah. So this has been helpful to see because to live without that movement is kind of well then and it's just like sleepwalking all you know which is okay but that i don't think that's life either no no uh, that's quite beautiful thank you very very much for that um i think what you're describing is the difference between the movement of the heart and the energy that has been familiar to you when you feel aroused towards some goal, some idea, some, some part. And, and recognizing that because the energy is not agitating, it does not mean that it is not there or that it is bad. It's growing to recognize a different sort of energy. Uh, if we look at, um, I don't want to get too physical here because I'll get it wrong, as in physics, but but um, energy can be dissipated as heat, or it can be expansive. We get very used to, oh, this doesn't feel right because the energy isn't right. And what you're describing is just, oh, this is how it is. Oh, this is how it is. And the energy is different. What is familiar to you is no longer what is true. How things really are. What you've described is quite beautiful. Thank you so much. I find it inspiring. Anything else? Yes, over here. Um, I turned it off. Sorry. 
do we have a light? Quite, quite often when people are like trying to inspire me, the, it, it's not what usually does. And, um, and when you were talking about the opening of the heart, I think you phrased it a little differently, but um, I realize that's generally what inspires me. And I think it's very similar to what a lot of people have said about hospice work. Just when somebody is speaking their truth of, of their humanity, it, it just tends to, to move me. It touches my heart. And it could be a, not a good thing they're saying at all, but if, when it's their truth and you know, they're just vulnerable about it and real, it, it just really touches me. And, um, and it's a great topic. I, I don't like meditating, really. And um, when I talk to teachers, they say, well, think of what inspires you. Think of, you know, the people who inspire you or, or what benefits you've gotten from meditating. And, um, and that inspires me. And I also, when you said we, we can inspire ourselves, I was thinking, mm, I don't know. But, um, <laughs> but I have a little altar at home. And, and a lot of times when I just go and light my candle, if, if I show up, and I'm mindfully doing it, it inspires me. It's like I remember other times when I was peaceful or mindful, and then I, I come down a little and get a little more mindful. The other thing I, I wanted to share is I'm going on a... Um, it's like a solo backpacking camping trip, and then we have support in base camp, and it's, it's fasting, but they don't want us to bring anything from the outside, like, like no books, no... No, anything. They want it all to come from within you, whatever inspires you, whatever you learn, I guess, to, to learn about our own inner resources. So it, it really struck me when you were talking, I've been really tempted to bring, like, you know, just like one little reading a day. But um, maybe I won't. I don't know. I'll see. But, but it just struck me as you were talking. It's like, yeah, we, we need to find our own inspiration and see what's there. Thanks. That's a perfect conclusion. Thank you all very much.